Amen. That's that's a lot of fun stuff happening. There's a there's some good stuff going on. I I I had COVID over the last 17 months. It feels like uh, I I've been down. I I was out 10 days straight with a fever, uh, and about 14 days straight of just laying in bed. Uh, I was trying not to infect the rest of my family, so I was in my college son has a bedroom. I was in that room for more days than I can imagine. I, it, was a, it was a long stretch, so I'm just celebrating that I, I, they, when we were supposed to share what are you thankful, I'm just thankful that I'm not in bed. I'm, I'm just thankful that I'm out. I have a negative test. I'm not, I, there's nothing, I can't get you anything. Don't be afraid of me, uh, I, but uh, be careful about that COVID thing. It's still happening, just everybody, it's, there's... At least it is for me. I I don't want to get into a debate with anybody. Sorry if I... We're going through a series... We're going through a series called Awaken. We're going through a series called Awaken where we're talking about our church's mission, vision, and values. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the, the why and the how. So why do we do what we do? Why do we live into what we do? And then how do we live into it? So we started off kind of talking about our, 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 our vision, our mission. Our, our mission has always been the nation's neighborhoods and next generation. That's always been our, our mission. Those are our three pillars that we're pursuing is we want to catalyze movements in the, in the Muslim world. We want to reproduce healthy churches and we want to start a, a reproducing movement of next generation leaders in the midst of what's happening here. That's always been at the center of who we are and what we're doing. Our vision is we want to awaken each other to live kingdom dreams in a world that's fast asleep. And so we want to awaken each other to live out the kingdom calling that God has placed on every one of our lives so that everybody in the church is activated and living in their sweet spot, aligned with where the Father has called them and living into what he's invited them into. So that's the what and the, and, and the how and, 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 or in the why, and our values are the how. And so last week, Douglas shared some kingdom principles. Just here's some principles to overlay everything that we do and that carry us through all of this. And then we have five core values that we carry with us. And these are the values that we go back to over and over again to say, all right, this is how we're going to do this. This is how we're going to accomplish it. This is the, the, the how we're going to live this out is all found in our values. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to walk through each of those values and and invite you not to just be a part of a church that carries these values, but to be a person who carries these values, to be a people who carry these values in our everyday life. And the first one that we're going to talk about today is we soak the altar. Uh, It is this idea that we are going to live obediently and in radical dependence on a holy God. That we're going to live obediently and with radical dependence on a holy God. Uh, and, 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 and as I was a kid, I, uh, my mom was one of those, like, leave a verse in your lunchbox moms. Anybody else have that mom? Like, I would get a Bible verse every day, and the Bible verse was always, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It was always a, like, power me up Bible verse. There was no, there was no, there was no like, sin or death in the verses that I ever got. It was all, like, you can do everything. You're amazing. And my mom was so incredible at teaching me the power of God, that God had authority and power, and God was a king, and God gives that authority to his children. And so because you're a son of, of the Most High God, you have his authority. 
authority and you have his power. And so I, we read all these stories about mountains moving and about God speaking and God breathing and walking on water and Jesus doing all these things and all these miracles. And my mom was like, you can do all that stuff. And I remember being like five years old and, and like, I'm going to walk on water today. Right, uh, the pool was there. My friends were there. I had just had some laffy taffy. Like I was ready to go, and I was like, "I'm doing it today." And it it never worked. I would pray. I would try and walk on water. I couldn't walk on water. I remember we went out on a family trip to the mountains, and I was like, "Move that mountain, Lord, just a little bit, just like it." I, nobody needs to see it but me. But just go like a little bit. I would like pray. Come on, Lord, mountain move. It never moved. I, I remember praying for rain, right? That's a big thing in the Bible. There's drought, right? There's famine. There's all these different things. I, I didn't know how to pray about famine, but I knew like rain was a real thing. I'd be like, it's sunny. It's beautiful. Come on, Lord, rain. And it never happened. I, I, I don't know if you've ever tried to force a miracle if you've ever tried to like pray that something would happen just for the sake of it happening, but as a little boy, I wanted the rain to stop or the rain to start or the mountain to move or to walk on water. I wanted all of these things to happen. And God doesn't always do the miracles that we want. But if we look back through the story of our life, day by day, chapter after chapter, year by year, every single one of us have these moments where it felt like God moved a mountain. Every one of us have these moments where it feels like the rain was coming and it was overwhelming and it stopped. Every one of us have these moments where it's like, I don't know how, but I walked on water in some way. And it may not be the physical way of actually doing those things, but we see these miracles happen in our life over and over and over again, and we carry these stories with us. And the Bible is full of these crazy stories, these impossible moments where the altar was soaked and God did something that nobody expected, nobody imagined, nobody thought was possible. And so today we want to talk about that core value of soaking the altar, and we want to look at Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Kings chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, there are always Bibles in the back on the bookshelves back there. You are always welcome to take one and keep it and take it home with you. 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah has been told by God to go talk to Ahab because Jezebel is killing all of the people of God. The people of God, the nation, has begun to worship Baal. And so as they've done this, the people of God have all scattered, they've run, they've hid, they've gone into different places because the king has, has proclaimed that we're going to worship somebody else. Baal worship has become the big thing. Everybody's attention is away from God. Obadiah is hiding people in caves. Uh, Elijah says to Obadiah, go to Ahab, tell him I'm coming, tell him I want a meeting and Obadiah is terrified of it, so he goes, he tells him, and then there's this moment, there's a, there's a showdown, right? There's a God showdown. It's, it's Baal, the undefeated God of Jezebel and of Ahab, and it's God, Yahweh, and Elijah is his representative, and they're showing up. It's like the Alabama-Georgia game, right? It's, it's, it's like big time. It's, the, it's two superpowers colliding. It, Kirby Smart would say, Go dogs. That's what he was saying. That's my best. You guys, I don't think anybody was really impressed with that. Hold on a second. Everybody close your eyes for just a second. Close your eyes. Imagine Kirby Smart is here at the front of the room. Go dogs. That's him. 
Just go dogs. All right. Uh, sorry, I've never cheered for Georgia before in my life. That was, my, that was the first time I've done it. First Kings chapter 18, verse 17. Here's what it says. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you abandoned the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, gather all of Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. He's saying, listen, bring everybody. Bring all of them. Bring your 400 prophets. Bring their 400 prophets. Bring whoever you need. Bring all the power of Baal. Bring all the power of Asherah. Bring all the power of all these other gods that you're worshiping, and I'm going to meet you there on Mount Carmel. In the middle of this, there's a drought that's happening. There's a drought that's happening in the land, and there is a miracle that is needed. There is a miracle that is needed because in the middle of this drought, people are starving. In the middle of this drought, the crops, it's an agrarian culture. Everything falls apart in a drought or in a famine in this culture. And so everything is falling apart. There needs to be a breakthrough. And, and here's what we see in 1 Kings chapter 18. It, it talk, tells us what we do in a drought. And I know that we as Americans, we don't really experience drought and famine in the same way that it was experienced in biblical times. I know it might affect our stock prices for a little while. It might, it, it might slow down an Amazon delivery for me or something like I might not be able to get dill at the grocery store for a week and I'm throwing a fit about it. Like that's how famine or drought affects us, right? Are you with me? But this is enormous for them. Everything hinges on rain. Everything hinges on crops. Everything hinges on the harvest. Everything is right there. And so 1 Kings chapter 18 begins to teach us what do we do in a drought? And not just a drought that is involving our food supply chains, not just a drought that is involving rain, but when we feel dry, when we feel empty, when we feel broken, when we feel wounded, when we feel like we've been crying out for God to move a mountain and the mountain hasn't moved, when we've been praying for rain to come and the rain hasn't started, when we've been asking to walk on water and we just keep sinking over and over and over again, what do we do in those moments? And the first thing that we do is we honestly and humbly face the obstacles in front of us. Oftentimes in a drought, what we decide to do is we hide. We deny it. We pretend. We shrink back. We get busy. We don't acknowledge the pain or the hurt or the woundedness or the brokenness or the stuff that we're walking through, and we just hide from all of it. We'll do everything we can to not face the thing that's real and the thing that we need to face instead of looking it in the face and acknowledging, this is where I am, and this is hard, and this is not where I want to be, it's not where I planned to be, it's not where I hoped I would be, but it is where I am, and you cannot face a drought, you cannot produce a miracle in your life, you cannot step into the places that God has called you to step in without acknowledging where you are right now. We have to acknowledge it. So Elijah makes this difficult decision. He's been hiding out. He's been in the widow's house. He's been in all these different places. He's kind of been behind the scenes hiding out, and he makes this decision, I have to face 
this task that's in front of me. I have to face Ahab. I have to face Jezebel. I have to go to Mount Carmel. And if you read all of 1 Kings, which is just beautiful, and, and these following chapters are amazing, you'll see Elijah has all these doubts and fears. He's not this superhero who's ready to face all of these things. He's terrified all along the way, and he's afraid all along the way. But here's the kingdom principle I want us to hang on to. We cannot resolve anything if we're hiding, pretending, denying that exists. The only way we heal is by acknowledgement. Suffering can either become our enemy or our teacher. And it's up to us for what we do with it. Our ability to face the challenges that are in front of us are directly proportional to the healing that we can receive. If we cannot acknowledge it, we cannot experience it. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light, the light of the Lord. So walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfaithful, unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Look at verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes what? Visible. We cannot deal with what's not brought into the light. For anything that becomes visible is light. So therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. This is how we're healed. This is how we deal with droughts and famines and, 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 and woundedness and brokenness and hurt in our everyday life is we acknowledge it, we look at it, we bring it into the light, and we name what's real. If we want to see kingdoms, kingdom breakthrough, if we want to see mountains move, then we have to face the droughts that we're facing. We have to do the inner work that needs to be faced. Uh, I, every time I stay at kind of a nice hotel, they have like the mirror in the bathroom, and then there's this, the big, the, the like circle mirror that is like extra miry. Like it, it like multiplies your face. You know what I'm talking about? And, and the, the, there's like a big light that's usually attached to the new ones. So there's this light, and then there's this giant thing. And I, I can't resist it. I don't know. Maybe I'm a narcissist. I don't, I don't know what it is. But every time I go, I just kind of look at my face. I'm getting older. I'm getting up there. And I just look at my face. And, and as you look at your face from like the normal mirror, right, I'm just standing back. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm doing all right. Are you with me? Like, I'm a, I'm a little older. There's some, there's some more pounds. There's some more gray, but I'm, I'm doing okay. But when you look at that magic special circle mirror, there are issues. <laughs> are you with me? I'm like, wait a minute. Where did those wrinkles come from? There are, let's just say there's blemishes. In it. Like, have you ever looked at your face really close and been like, what is that? Like, there's a, there's a thing here. I'm not sure. Is that a pimple? Is that a, like, I don't know. Is that, is that, is that going to be there forever? Do I need to talk to a doctor? Is this cancerous? Like, I don't know. Like, there's just, you go, you look into that light, and all of a sudden, everything gets exposed. And it's not always pretty what you see. This is what the Father's inviting us to do. He says, cast your cares upon me. Bring everything to me. Taylor started the service by saying, bring your brokenness, bring your hurt, bring everything and just lay it at my feet and trust that I'm good. 
Elijah has this fear of death, this fear that maybe if I challenge Baal, maybe if I set up this God showdown on Mount Carmel, what if God doesn't show up? What if God doesn't do what I want him to do? What if this doesn't work out the way that I hope? There's all these fears that Elijah is carrying in this moment. What are the fears that you're carrying? What is the what if God doesn't that you're telling yourself right now? What if God doesn't provide the money that we need to pay that bill that's coming up? What if God doesn't heal this relationship that just seems to be pulling apart more and more? What if God doesn't show up with his grace and his kindness and mercy? What if God doesn't heal? What if he doesn't restore? What if he doesn't? What's the bad news that you're telling yourself? What's the fear that you're carrying? Because the Lord didn't simply want Elijah to survive the the drought. He wanted him to learn to serve and trust him. In the arduous trenches of our everyday life, where it's hard, where it's difficult, where it's challenging, God wants to grow his people into resilient people who have the ability to persevere. And the older we get and the more faithful and more spiritually mature we become, what begins to happen is things still knock us down. In this world, you will have trouble, right? There are going to be things that are going to knock us down. There's going to be challenges that we're going to face. There's going to be another two weeks of my son's bedroom in COVID. Uh, hopefully not COVID, but something in the future that's going to knock me out. And I, we're going to have to figure these things out. And we're going to have to walk through these. But resilience and perseverance teaches us that those things don't knock us back as far as they used to. They don't shake my faith the way that they used to shake my faith. I don't move back and forth between opinion and and I don't bounce back and forth between trusting him and not trusting him. I'm on this path where I begin to grow and trust him more and more and more each year, each day, each moment because he has brought me through. Because I've learned to walk in hope. Because I've learned of God's faithfulness. Because I trust in his promises. Because he's done it over and over again. And if he did it in the past, he'll do it again. And so we grow in our resilience. We grow in our perseverance. And the last few years have been difficult for God's people. I think we've been battling. I think we've been fighting. I think we've been in a war. And here's two results that can happen from this. And I'm watching this all over the country. We can shrink back and we can step away or we can grow resilience and perseverance and step into the things that God has actually called us to. We can walk out of the spaces of brokenness and hurt and pain and doubt and challenges and we can walk out of it with more power and more authority and more faith and more strength or we can walk away. And God's invitation in the middle of every challenge you face in your everyday life is not necessarily for you to overcome the challenge. It's for you to become the type of person that can absorb the challenge. You become the type of person who can walk into the challenge and whenever you face the challenge, you walk out victorious. Because our victory is not here, guys. Our victory is on the other side of earth. Our victory comes in heaven. Our victory day is approaching one day. And in, while we're here, there's still gonna be trouble. There's still gonna be challenges. But drought can become the door for what's next if we allow it to. What's the door that God's preparing to open for you? Do you trust him? Are you willing to walk through it? Do you have the courage to face it head on? And can you step into wholeness? That's what God wants for us. He wants wholeness. One of the things we hear often about our church 
is that our church is a place of healing. I, I, I hear this all the time from people. The people there, there are so many people who come through our congregation who have some kind of church wounds, church hurt, some kind of brokenness or hurt that they've experienced in their past, and that they find this place to be a safe place where they're healed. I love hearing those stories. That's one of the greatest compliments I receive as a pastor is that we've become a safe place for people. And if that's you, we're so glad that you're here, but I want to invite you to keep moving, right? There is this challenge sometimes when we're hurt, sometimes when we're wounded, sometimes when we're broken, sometimes when there's drought, sometimes when there's famine, there's this temptation, and the temptation is to shrink back. The temptation is to stay there forever. The temptation is to live as if you're wounded rather than being healed. And I want you to know the invitation of Jesus is always healing. The invitation of the Father is always wholeness. The invitation is not for you to walk with a limp. It's for you to live your fullest and most abundant life that's available to you. And it's available to you now. It's going to take hard work and it's going to take effort, but it's available to you now. A few years ago, we did the Grace Summit we were doing it at Midtown, and I, it, it was, I think, my second year of being the pastor here at this church, and I had gone through a bunch of church hurt. I had gone through a bunch of pain in my past with leaders who had abandoned me and things that didn't go the way I had hoped, and, and a lot of disappointment and frustration and things that had just really hurt. And I was sitting there at Summit, and everybody was singing and worshiping and praying, and, and the Lord gave me a picture, and and. Surprisingly, the Lord speaks to me in sports metaphors because he knows that's the only thing I can understand. Uh, I'm a little dense, and so he's just like, I'm going to let me help you with this because you may not understand it if I talk about Pinterest or something like that, but it's going to be sports. Uh, When I played basketball, I I sprained my ankle over and over again. uh, My right and left ankles, I sprained over and over again. I broke my right ankle four different times uh, in high school and college. Uh, because I just, uh, I think once you break it, you break it. And then you have this balance thing where I would jump and I didn't, un- I didn't know when I was landing and I would always just, my ankles were, my ankles are a disaster to this day. Uh, and so I would wear a brace. You, 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 if you play basketball, you know, you, you, if you're tough and you've played a lot, you, you just tighten it up, right? You, you sprain it. And if it's not a bad sprain, you just like, okay, give me the brace. I'm going to tighten it up. But when you put on the brace, there's no mobility, you feel like you just can't move as fast, you can't cut, you can't, so you're, you're always walking with like a little bit of a limp, you're always slowed down, you're always carrying this kind of brokenness or hurting with you wherever you go. And then the day that you take off the brace, it's like the best day, because you're like, oh, I'm free again. Like, I can jump. I can jump higher. I can move faster. I've got this mobility back. The, the day the brace comes off, something magical happens. And so I'm sitting there at Summit. We're praying, and the Lord's like, Ben, take off the brace. You don't need it anymore. Stop living like you're wounded when you're actually healed. The invitation of the Father in the middle of our drought is to soak the altar and believe that healing is available to you. And I don't, I'm not diminishing what you've been hurt by. Please don't hear me. Like, I understand there are people in this room who have been hurt by things that are beyond anything we could ever imagine, that should not have happened to you, that should not happen to anybody. There is real brokenness. There is real pain. There is real hurt. There is death. There is cancer. There is brokenness. There is woundedness. All of those things are very real, but so is God's ability to heal us. 
Verse 20, so Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and he said, how long will you go limping between two opinions? Limping. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. So prepare two bowls. Set them on the altar, and let's see who brings the fire first. Verse 26, so they took the bowl that was given to them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning to noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. They limped around the altar they had made, and at noon, Elijah began mocking them. I love Christian trash talk. I'm, I'm a big fan <laughs> of Christian trash talk. Listen to what, listen, Elijah's good at it, too. Elijah's got some game. Listen to Elijah. Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself. Maybe your God is going to the bathroom, is what Elijah said. Maybe he's taking a dump. That's what Elijah just said. Or he's on a journey. Maybe he's out somewhere. Maybe he's at the store. He's asleep. Maybe he's taking a nap. He must be awakened. And they cried out, and they began cutting themselves after their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them and upon them. And at midday past, they raved on until the time of authoring of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. See, we we don't simply get to just name our brokenness. We don't simply get to just acknowledge it and look at it and face it and bring up the mirror. What we're invited to do next, even when we've been hurt or even when we've been broken or even when things have been challenging or hard, is we soak and we repair the altar. The invitation is not just for us to heal. The invitation is for us to become healers. Henry Nowen wrote the famous book, Wounded Healer, where he talked about the greatest healers in the world are people who have actually been wounded. We train entrepreneurs to start redemptive businesses, businesses with some sort of faith-based angle that make the world a better place. And the phrase that we use with them over and over and over again is you are best prepared to serve the person you used to be. You are best prepared to serve the person that you used to be. Be for somebody else what nobody was for you. Think about that moment when you were at your worst, when you were hurting, when you were broken, when no one stood beside you the way that you needed to, and do that for somebody else. Stand in the gap for them. Do for them what no one did for you. And so as the people of God, we become people who soak and repair the altar. Verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And they all circled in and he did this. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. This is the work of God's people right now. This is the work of the church in 2023. We are the repairers of what has been broken. We are the repairers of the altar. We we, we fix the altar. We fix what has been broken by culture, by, by arguments, by fighting, by politics, by all of these things that have happened in the last few years. We become back and we become the healers who heal these things. How long had it been since that altar had sat empty? How long had it been since somebody had made a sacrifice there? How long had it been since somebody had fixed it or repaired it or sat by it? And Elijah says, all the people of God are hiding in caves but me, but I'm right here and I'm going to do the work of the church. I'm going to repair the altar. What are the altars that need repaired in your life? What are the altars that need repaired in Cobb County? 
What are the areas of our community where things are not as they should be? Where God is not living out what we're called to live out and we're not stepping into the places where we've been invited to. What's this in your family? What's this in your life? What's this in your workplace? Where are there broken things that need to be set right and what does it look like for us to become the people who repair the altars? Verse 31, Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob. It's a biblical number. To whom the Lord came saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar as great as it would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in the cut and the bowl in the pieces and he laid it on the wood. And he said this, he didn't just build the altar. He didn't just repair the altar. He didn't just fix everything. Remember, Elijah's a great uh, Christian trash talker. He said, bring me some water. Just in case anybody's got any kind of convictions that maybe I'm engineering this on my own, that I prayed to walk on water like a kid at the swimming pool with Laffy Taffy in his face, just in case you think it's me doing that, how about we dump like four jars of water and put it on the burnt offering? Can you imagine being the people in the middle of a drought and watching your pastor take all the water and dump it on an altar when there's people that are thirsty? And they're like, Amanda over here sure could use just a little bit. Like, can we get a can? Can we get some flasks and just pass these out to some people in the community? Like, is there something that we can do to get everybody else the water? And Elijah's like, no, we're pouring it on the altar. And he said, do it a second time. So did it a second time, eight jars. And then he said, do it a third time. They did a third time, 12 jars. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench with water. Listen, I'm no Boy Scout and nobody would ever give me a merit badge for making fires. Uh, but I have tried to start a bonfire with wet wood. <laughs> Anybody? It's not. If, and, and they couldn't go to the hardware store and get the little lighter things. There was none of those, like, there was none of those fancy things that we have now. He wasn't like, hey, bring me all the Amazon boxes from the garage, or bring me the old newspapers, bring me the USA Today, uh, or whatever newspaper you want to put in there, (laughs) and burn it up. But there was this faith that even in the middle of brokenness and hurt and drought, there was this radical trust that the holy God was going to come through. Hosea 10.12 says, Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and he showers his righteousness on you. I think sometimes we lack imagination for how beautiful the rain could be. We lack imagination for how this moment in the middle of my hurt and in the middle of my brokenness feels so hopeless. But 10 years from now, I'm gonna see the work that God was doing. I'm gonna understand the way that he was shaping my heart. I'm gonna understand the healing that he brought to me and I'm gonna see a way forward and I'm gonna understand that there is hope in the middle of our broken finances, our broken relationships, our broken bodies, our broken spirits. Oftentimes in our lives, we'll be faced with these situations that may seem like God is allowing it or causing it, and it's becoming more and more impossible for us to have trust, but we have this promise. We have this simple, simple promise that God is with us and that he's good. 
that in the good times on the mountaintop or in the valley, that God's presence does not change. We don't conjure up his presence when we do good things, and his presence doesn't leave us when we do bad things. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth. Nothing can separate us. And so we don't conjure up his presence. He's just with us. He's with us in the good, and he's with us in the bad. He's with us when we hear him loudly, and he's with us when we're longing to hear his voice, and it's quiet. He's with us when we're singing our worship songs with our hands in the air, and he's with us on Monday mornings when we're frustrated as we're driving in with traffic. So here's what we do. Number three, we pray for rain. We pray for rain. We pray for fire from heaven, and we pray for rain to come down. One of the phrases that we use around grace is this phrase called rooted and renegade. It's the best phrase we've been able to come up with with who we are and what describes us. What describes who grace is? And, and I love this phrase. This is one of the phrases that we, we hadn't even come up with this when I first came here, but I knew this was the DNA of grace, and so I loved it. We're rooted in our local communities. We are local parishes and local churches that care about our neighborhood right around us. We are rooted in a physical place and a physical spot where we're going to care about the people around us. We're also rooted in the word of God. We teach through the Bible exegetically. We trust that God is working through his word. We don't hide from God's word. We believe in it and we trust it and we teach it. We're rooted in the word of God. We're rooted in community with one another. We believe that God's people are a family and that we're called together to do something better than what we could accomplish on our own, that there is a purpose for us gathering together beyond spiritual consumerism of goods and services. There's something bigger. We're rooted in all of those things. And some of you are here because of our rootedness. You're like, I love that stuff. That's what I want. Open Leviticus or wherever you want to go, and let's just walk through it. I, I love that. Let's just, you're here for the rootedness of all of these things. But then there's these renegades too. And there's a spirit of being a renegade, which is this. We actually believe that God is working and moving and that we can trust him and do crazy things. We actually trust that we can have this renegade nature and, and, and the word of God is unshifting and changing, but the methods of how we reach people, the way that we change and transform and the way that we think about the church and the way that we think about people and the way that we think about discipleship and the way that we think about small groups and the way we think about student and, and, and kids ministry, the way we think about all of these things can shift and change and we can be renegade and we can trust that we're going to follow God when God says go. So if God says give, we give. If God says go, we we go. If God says trust, we trust. We co-discern where God is leading us and we step into that renegade nature. This is the history that you guys walk in. Like I don't, sometimes I think we don't understand that, that this is happening in 10 other churches around the country every week. That grace started with just a few people gathering at a nursery school, a nursery school, like imagine the smell Right? There's just a few people gathered in like a little nursery school room, and it's multiplied into 10 churches. We have two fellows right now, Benton being one of them, Brandon Groom being the other one, who are getting ready to plant number 11 and number 12. We have more fellows that are getting ready to start in the program next year. They're going to plant churches 13 and 14, and this is going to multiply and continue to grow because this is our heritage, We've been doing this for a really long time. Long before I ever showed up, the foundation of grace was built and established by people greater than me. 
We started ministering in the Muslim world and all of a sudden miracles started happening and breakthroughs started happening and we started to say, wait a minute, I think we can make a difference. I think we can catalyze Jesus' movements in the Muslim world. We started serving in local high schools and started becoming a local parish that decided the school that is closest to us is going to be our primary missional center where we're going to love, care, and serve. And we started seeing breakthrough. We started seeing kids come to know Jesus. We started seeing crazy things started to happen. We thought maybe we could plant more churches. And so we planted churches in Monroe and in D.C. and in Midtown and in Marietta. And we just continued to start planting churches and seeing breakthrough over and over and over again. I want you to know this and understand this. You are a part of a family of churches that has been soaking the altars for many, many years. And it's been raining. And fire has come. And breakthrough has come. And God has been good over and over and over again. And I think the invitation for many of us today as I've been praying for this is could you dream again? Could you acknowledge with the big giant mirror that shows everything, the last few years have not been what I wanted them to be. I know a lot of your stories, so I get emotional even sharing this idea because there has been real pain and real hurt and real brokenness. But can we hold that mirror in one hand and can we say to Jesus, I trust that you're going to repair it. I trust that you're going to repair the altars. I trust that you're going to do something new. I trust that you're moving because I don't want to be a part of a movement that doesn't trust that the rain is going to come. I don't want to be part of a movement that believes our best days are behind us. I don't want to be a part of a movement that shrinks back from the challenges that we face. I don't want to be a, a part of a movement that doesn't soak the altar believing that God might just bring the rain. I don't want to be part of a movement that doesn't keep believing in the next generation generation and trusting that they're the future of the church. I don't want to be part of a movement that doesn't keep soaking the altar and believing that breakthrough can happen even in the most unbreakthrough places in the world. I don't want to be part of a movement that doesn't believe that even if there's 450 of them and one of me, God is moving and working. I want to be part of a movement that continues to dream. I want to dream big dreams for Cobb County. I want to dream big dreams for Grace Marietta, and I want to raise up a generation of dreamers who are dreaming amazing things for their everyday life. I want to awaken the kingdom dream in you so that you can live it out in your everyday life, and we can set ablaze this community. I want to be that little boy that's still praying for rain. I want to have that faith of like, God, just move the mountain. Nobody else needs to see it. Just let me see it. Just move, just a little bit, just move it, just like, don't start an avalanche, just a little, just start something little, could you do that? Verse 36, and at the time of the offering of the oblation, this means the solemn offering, the significant moment, Elijah and the prophets came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trenches. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. What's the prayer today that you think is impossible? What's the area of healing or breakthrough 
that you've been longing for, but you just haven't gotten it yet. And today, could your faith grow just a little bit that God is the God who asks us to soak the altar and brings the fire and that he's good and that he's with us. Luke 18, verse 27 says, And he, Jesus, said, The things that are impossible with men are possible with God. He later said, Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray right now for each and every one of us, for those moments where we feel like there is no hope, breakthrough will never come, the miracle isn't happening, I pray that you would teach us to live radically dependent and obedient on you and that we would trust you, that you are good and that you are working and that you are moving, that we don't have to generate anything, but we have to trust you. So I pray, Lord, that you would begin to reveal altars that are broken and that need repaired. I pray that you would raise up leaders who will become the repairers of the altar. And I pray that our dreams never stop being bigger than what we could ever imagine or hope for. So raise up our kingdom dreams, Lord. Stir up new imagination for the things that you can do. Give us your heart for the people that are around us. Stir up our imagination for what could be. We love you. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. We're going to move into a time of communion. Uh, And as we do, there are communion stations set up all over the room. You can go and grab the juice and the crackers and and pray on your own and take some time. But but here's what I want to do. The prayer team's going to come up front here uh, on either side. And, And I just want to invite you, if there is something that you need to face that you've been afraid to face, and today you want to just say, all right, Lord, let's get out the big mirror. I want to look at it so that I can deal with it. I want to bring it into the light so I can heal. I want to invite you to come and pray with somebody on the prayer team. If there's a dream that's been stirring and you're a little afraid, you're afraid to step into it, you're afraid of what's next, you don't know what the first steps are, you don't know how to get into it, I just want to invite you to come and to pray. And I want you over this entire series to just be praying, Heavenly Father, stir up our dreams. Teach us your ways. Teach us the why and the how of living into your kingdom calling. And raise up a generation of rooted and renegade leaders that changes the world. So we'll step into communion. The band's going to play for just a little while. We'll take some moments just to be quiet and silent. Think and pray together. And then we'll wrap up and worship together.